You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Pharmacy Talk with IBM Watson Health, where we will explore everything surrounding the future of pharmacy, from the use of data, AI, and evidence to drug shortages and even careers. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, we're back. We are exploring the world of drug shortages and how to improve efficiency across the supply chain. We've been talking with several organizations about different facets of our ecosystem in the world of pharmacy. And IBM Watson Health has been an amazing provider of um, information around artificial intelligence. And we've had two other episodes that will be linked in your show notes. So if you're driving, if you're jogging, you're working out, don't worry about it. The information is in the show notes. You can also Google, go out to Mr. Google land and put in IBM Watson Health Pharmacy Podcast, and you'll find all of their podcasts. I'm excited today. We're kind of jumping into a concept that many organizations are coming together to try to solve, and that is the world of Uh, drug shortages, how to improve efficiencies across your specific organization. Drug shortages impact millions of Americans every year, and supply chain's uh, a major issue. Up and down, there's shortages, there's uh, surpluses and things that we're seeing other organizations trying to help community pharmacies and health system pharmacies get access to these medications. And we have experts that we've brought to the table. I want to give a shout out and thank you to the IBM Watson team for putting this team together. I want to introduce Nate Petey, Dr. Petey. He's the Chief Strategy Officer and co-founder of Orbital RX. Welcome, Nate. How are you? Thank you, Todd. Doing great. Really appreciate you putting us on today. Absolutely. We also have Dr. Brian Spolhoff. He's the Assistant Manager of Pharmacy Medication Utilization Strategy at the University of Virginia. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you here. And I'd also like to welcome Dr. Chris Virgilio. He is the Clinical Program Director at Micromedics, the one and only IBM Watson Health. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Uh, You know, excited in a geeky way to uh, really get down into this topic. We encourage geeky and nerdiness more that you bring. If you can bring it up to a level eight, nine, or 10, then you get a pharmacy podcast mug. So whoever geeks out the most will get the mug. I don't think that'll be very hard for me. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So let's start off. We want to understand drug shortage management and really preventing that. Chris, I'm wondering, how does the healthcare industry classify drug shortages? What's the definition to you? So there is the a global definition by the FDA, which uh, states a drug shortage is a period of time when the demand or the projected demand for a drug within the United States exceeds the supply of the drug. Um, and so that's a really broad definition. Um, and so, you know, we get down into what is a drug shortage for you. Um, and that's, again, open to interpretation because there could be a lot of near misses where work is done behind the scenes. And does that classify as a drug shortage if the end user doesn't realize that 
maybe, you know, there was a near miss that occurred. Um, and so, you know, drug shortage can be also completely out of the particular product. And, you know, so not all drug shortages are created equal. Um, and so, again, it's open to interpretation. As pharmacists, we know it when we see it. We know it when we experience it. So, Brian, you're in this every day. It's, uh, it's really up to you as management of medication utilization to really strategize how to approach drug shortages and prevent and mitigate the risk of that for your organization. What processes do you have in place, if any, and what are your biggest challenges? Yeah, I think to echo what Chris was saying, the definition of short, or not all shortages are created equal um, is one of those things that uh, kind of complicate the picture, right? In some ways, if a drug isn't available, then the decision is easy. But oftentimes we have this ambiguity of where we can get some drug and sometimes we can't. And so we're often challenged to try to make use of what we have. Um, so, you know, what we try to do is... Uh, when we find out that there may be an issue, we look at the drug, short, the potential shortage, we do a rapid evaluation of what is our inventory, what has our utilization been, and can we predict um, what, uh, not only how long do we have left, but if we were to implement something, what is our potential for um, opportunity to save? And that, that allows us to think pretty quickly about alternatives and, and some things around that. Um, I think the challenges that we face is that every single day, uh, you know, we find another two, three, four, five items that are short. And what we can't predict is whether this is going to turn into the next shortage uh, where we have nothing, or is this going to be something that's going to resolve in a week? And so we end up putting a lot of work into something um, that may not be uh, all that severe. So I nerd out just like the rest of the participants and I think of the data. Matter of fact, I learned about pharmacists' impact on senior care based on analyzing data from an institutional pharmacy management system. Brian, I'm wondering how are you identifying potential shortages? Is there predictive data that you can actually see a shortage coming? The, oh, this is an awesome question. I there are. Um, there have been conversations about whether we should have predictive shortage, some sort of, you know, prediction. But one of the things and uh, that becomes an issue is if health systems start to predict shortages, will that cause some sort of panic buying and make a shortage that may have been short lived or maybe wasn't a true shortage? Would that make it worse? Um, so the, the whole idea of predictive, uh, something predictive behind the scenes to tell you when there's a shortage, uh, I think could be somewhat controversial. Um, but what we can do is when once we start to identify that there is a shortage via you know, a variety of resources, whether it be the FDA um, through ASHP's drug shortage listing or um, through some of our GPOs that they can provide some of that in, uh, information, is we start to strategize early um, to um, identify alternatives uh, that can help us treat our patients. Nate, Orbital RX has built a business specifically around the entire concept of drug shortage management, specifically for health system organizations, health system pharmacies. And I'm wondering, what are your insights when you're thinking about all of this data? How's Orbital RX helping to pinpoint and extract the right data components 
to flag people like Brian and Chris? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, the thing that we found uh, really incredible was that almost universally, uh, almost every team that we spoke to across the country in pharmacy departments already knew what they wanted. In many instances, they might even have that in, in arm's reach with regards to a data, um, a piece of data. The problem was that they just didn't have the time or uh, the ability, the resources to grab that data, pull it together and organize it with the type of frequency and honestly, the type of sophistication that, you know, is really necessary to feel like you're, you're doing a, the kind of job that you know that you should be doing around staying on top of these things. So a lot of what we did was really just stepped in and, and, and automated um, a lot of those things that, that pharmacy departments were looking for and were struggling to get out of uh, all of the different systems. I think all of us that have been in a drug shortage meeting, um, you know, know that look of, you know, each, each person has, you know, spreadsheet, website, um, Word document, email, um, a whole number of different things pulled up and they're all trying to kind of continuously weave that together. What we discovered was that uh, that was just becoming a huge obstacle. Uh, people can't make um, good, efficient decisions uh, or come to you know universal conclusions about what's going on if we can't even you know universally see that information together uh, all together from end to end. And we really have this vision of bringing it all together. Um, that data is really at the heart of what most teams are trying to uh, trying to get at. They're, they're trying to understand what's going on inside the hospital, what's going on outside the hospital. And if you can help them get that easily and reliably, then they can, they can work better together as a team and, uh, and make better decisions and plan better and communicate more effectively. Yeah. And uh, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to add on to that. Um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that we're able to use Orbital Rx here at UVA. And uh, one of the things that I um, have noticed um, in our meetings, especially over the last several months, as we've seen a lot of shortages, is how quickly we're able to identify our supply and where our supply is. Um, historically, you know, when we, we uh, projected out what our uses were at other institutions that I was doing drug shortage, you know, I would say we have two, three weeks on hand, but that was uh, still required me after the shortage to go do a deep dive. What is, where is that product and do I have to centralize it? Do I have to move it around to make it available? And during our shortage meeting, as we're going through our list and looking, I can see exactly where our stuff, uh, where our product is. And that is um, something that has really changed the game because we're able to actually act a little bit quicker before our, um, our our inpatient pharmacy runs out of product. We're able to shift stock and say, hey, real quick, I noticed I have you know 20% of my stock in an offsite clinic. Let's go send somebody out there and get some of the product home. Yeah, and I was going to uh, mention that every day you start from zero um, and that you know you have to update your Excel sheet you have to review, okay, what's short today? What, you know, what, what am I doing? And, you know, intermix that in between you know, your daily activities. And so it is kind of crazy once you lift your head up from the keyboard to, to realize you put so much work into these uh, shortages and then you have to do it all again tomorrow. It's interesting. You know, if we had a drone with a camera on it and it rose to 200, 500 feet, 
and it was looking down on some of the ports within the United States right now, each of those little barges that are outside of the port that are waiting for their chance to unload and many of the logistic issue, issues that we know are happening in our supply chain right now remind me of data packets and not to nerd out for the listeners, but if you, we all take advantage of, of data um, coming in and out of our internet pipes and it's called TCPIP, Transfer Control Protocol, and then the IP stands for Internet Protocol. And that's literally the the DNA of data is how a data packet is built. And I think of those barges as these little packets of information. And I'm thinking of the supply chain issues that have been accelerated and exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic from food shortages to gas, toilet paper. You know, I can only imagine what hospitals have experienced during this and how it can impact patient care. You know, Brian, I'm thinking, is that something that concerns you? And 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 what do you do as someone that, that is is really pressed to ensure that, that you mitigate those issues? Oh, excellent question. The um the the, the reality is stockpiling or, or panic buying exists. And we definitely saw it during the pandemic. And um I can't count myself as one of those people, uh, or I count myself as one of those people, you know, early in the pandemic, we did a quick assessment of what do we think we need? Let's get a little bit of product. And um, we, we, we did that. And it was, it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be something sustainable. Um, now, as we're looking at supply chain issues, I'm often asked um, by providers, very well-intentioned providers um, who want to treat their patients, just go out and get more, go buy six months. And the reality is, um, even if I could, um, every dose that I purchase, I'm taking away from somebody else. And so what we are shifting our view here and trying to become a little bit more ethical in a sense um, to say what we can do is we can buy a little bit, we can keep kind of our standard inventory management, maybe a little bit more, but we're not going to go out of our way to, um, to take product away from other patients that may need this. It's, it's certainly something that we, um, we are uh, very cognizant of and, and, and try, to, um, try to think of being as ethical as possible in this process. Well, Brian, I, I want to jump in and say, I mean, I, I, I want to make sure we don't vilify uh, sites that are, you know, panic buying. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's their, that's their job. You know, they're, they're there to protect the patients. You guys are on the front lines, making sure that you're doing whatever it takes to, to take care of your patients. It's just an unfortunate circumstance that, uh, that, that, that type of um, response kind of creates these liquidity issues for uh, pharmacy inventory that you know kind of brings down the whole system but um i mean the system is doing exactly what it's designed to do unfortunately it's just not built with the type of resiliency that it needs to do in order to absorb those types of situations unfortunately but um i want to make sure that uh the buyers don't get thrown under the bus they're they're doing the exact thing that they need to do to make sure that patients get taken care of uh, in their hospital yeah, absolutely. Yeah, D definitely yeah. not not to vilify. And, and to be no, fair, sure, yeah. my uh, my, <laughs> my buyers are are when they purchase, they're doing it because I'm telling them to, and I'm I get just as anxious. So, yeah. um, it, sometimes it's just trying to uh, calm my nerves a little bit. And certainly, I 
we have stock here uh, for some products that have gone on shortage. Uh, one of the things that we also try to do is we do try to um, be fair to, for at least to our local sites. You know, if we um, if we have some extra product, even if something's short, one of the things we consider is you know loaning when we can. There are many times in the community pharmacy setting, and definitely in the health system hospital setting, where the pharmacist will suggest a interchange or a swap out of one NDC or one drug for another based on a myriad of things as drug experts, but also managing inventory and, and managing what's available for the patient at the time that they needed it. And the, the physician may have prescribed something and they're certainly not thinking of inventory issues. They're thinking of, hey, this is my patient and I'm going to prescribe what I believe is medically you know, a necessity. And sure enough, it comes to the pharmacist at the health system at the hospital pharmacy. And they're like, whoa, you know, now we're identifying a possible alternative. So that's my question. Uh, Brian, in, in your case, how, how do we identify alternatives for various medications and purchase those alternatives to spread out rather than depleting one resource? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes we get lucky and you know, if it's a tablet strength or a certain vial strength, we can readily purchase additional vial strengths. And we do what we can in the background to make it as seamless as possible. Um, nurses won't know, doctors won't know, patients won't know. We get to treat our patients just as we always did. Um, but when we start to get into these situations where we, um, you know, maybe uh, just recently, an example, we had some issues where we could not get one particular opioid uh, that was used for continuous sedation. Um, and as we started to look at our levels, we kind of increased our um, PARs of some other ones. And what we did was work with the providers to try to say, hey, um, there's going to be times when you want to use one. Um, if there's opportunities to use this alternative, uh, let's go ahead and do that. And what we can do is hopefully prevent us from running out of one or the other at any particular time. Um, and, and we get lucky here at UVA that we have some very receptive providers that are willing to work with us. Um, uh, but to uh, the way of identifying a, a lot of those alternatives, um, a lot of it comes down to uh, clinical experience and practice. Um, fortunately, I have a clinical background that was able to help me support uh, through some of these. Um, but when all else fails, uh, you have to use your drug information resources to find alternatives. Chris, I don't want to put, put you back on the spot, but you're part of the whole team that put this amazing conversation together. So what are you doing? How are you helping um, your customers, uh, pharmacists out there, health system pharmacists that are really trying to dig deep into the data and helping them to set those reasonable expectations among stakeholders who are impacted by drug shortages? Yeah. Um, and so one thing, you know, looking at this from a national point of view is, you know, everyone, you know, does things differently. Um, there's regional differences. Um, there's even system differences too. And so, you know, one of the common things is you actually take on the role of an educator during these drug shortages because, you know, as pharmacists, we're living this day to day, uh, sometimes 24 hours a day, we've all worked from home. Um, but you're, you're explaining to, you know, new individuals, there's a drug shortage on a particular product that they use. Um, and so invariably the first question in it, you know, is, well, why did this happen? So you have to explain what drug shortages are. Um, and so being that educator, 
you know, getting your resources available to you is important. So that's where, you know, we, we come in. And so um, you have to become a expert all of a sudden, you know, if there's a drug shortage on, on a particular product, what are they using it for? And what's the alternative? So you have to do some quick research to find out why aminophilin is used in the cath lab, you know, um, even though that doesn't seem obvious. And so where do you go for that? So having the, you know, drug information available quickly. Um, and so, you know, we have the Watson assistant, uh, which is, you know, natural language processing where you can just ask a very direct question. Um, and then you'll you know, get that answer very qu quickly. So that's one area that we're working on too. And then also bringing everything into a centralized place, um, you know, uh, with the work that uh, Nate and Orbital RX have done too. Augmenting that with the power of micromedics, which is the drug information, again, to find these alternatives at the click of a button. All right. We're all geeking out and I'm excited. I'm going to shift the gear because technology in the hands of organizations that really build out implementation and planning and strategies to not just have the tech, but to use it correctly, it can make all the difference. It can make the difference in expense, in efficiency, in effectiveness, in controlling shortages and, and being able to see things ahead of time based on patient um, accumulation and, and, and workload and things that, that we expect technology to do behind the scenes where we don't even notice it happening and how the role of technology and data can assist pharmacists in solving these challenges. So Brian, can you speak to how you have managed inventory and shortages? Yeah, um, actually, I can give you a very recent example, something that I uh, did yesterday. Um, we got notified of uh, two shortages of some antibiotics that we um, we stock in our automated dispensing system. Um, and what I wanted to do was to quickly evaluate whether our product was in the right place for the patient need. Um, and so what I uh, did was leverage some of our data out of our um, ADS, looking at then data. How, you know, when were we dispensing the product out? Where were we dispensing it to? Um, was that something that was sporadic? Was it something that was um, consistent? And that was able to uh, help me quickly predict what maybe either new PARs or whether it even needed to be loaded in uh, certain units. Um, so just being able to go through that data very quickly, um, I was able to essentially pull back about 80% of our stock across the board without having, uh, without um, an any anticipated changes to essentially our patient care. Um, we, you know, we, we like to have our uh, product on the floor so that we don't have to send our text frequently. And in this case, we're probably going to have to do that a little bit more, but um, at least that way, when somebody needs product, I have it available in the central pharmacy and I don't have to wait to go send somebody up to the floor, pull it back, send it out to the next unit. Nate, what about your experiences and in that capacity of trying to mitigate, you know, shortages and, and what you've experienced in, in your life and in helping your own organization, but also maybe others of what you've learned? Yeah, I mean, I think what Brian described is, you know, an outstanding uh, example of what you run into. I think um, from my perspective, uh, it was it was important to 
to have a data informed process wherever possible. Um, it was frustrating not to have that easily available, but I mean, really the, the shortage team turns into kind of an emergency response team. Um, when you look at it, we've gotten a little desensitized to drug shortages. Uh, the assumption is that the pharmacists will always be able to kind of come up with some way of, you know, creatively addressing the issue either through clinical alternatives or, you know, a different source or, you know, potentially being able to add mix or prepare the product internally from other products that are available. But that, that assumption is, is exactly that. It's an assumption. Um, when you're in it, uh, it's an emergency in, in a number of instances, uh, some more than others. But um, in my experience, uh, we've been in some pretty bad ones uh, over the years where uh, the, the possibility of a patient uh, being negatively impacted um, was a distinct reality, which is terrifying as a provider, right? Um, it's you, you, you do everything you can every single day to make sure everybody gets the best care that they can possibly get. You just, it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, a circumstance happening where, you know, you don't have what you need to take care of patients. And how do you even explain that to providers and, and patients? And uh, it's, it's, it's a huge issue. So, the ability to, to, to quickly get at that data, like Brian was saying, um, can, can be a huge uh, advantage in terms of being able to make quick decisions that insulate the patients and providers from any of these liquidity issues with inventory. Um, and we, we would see that all the time. But our hope is that we, we help facilitate more structure more data-driven decision-making and, and most importantly, automation. I think um, we want to see these things become more automated. Um, Brian, I'm sure can attest uh, from his experience as well, you know, how, how frustratingly uh, time-consuming this is. It's not like you, 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 uh, your day was planned to respond to a heparin shortage, right? Um, you, you are still expected to do all of the other things that you didn't already have enough time for on top of now, you know, responding to this emergency. Uh, and it just, um, the disruption is a huge issue. Um, you see projects start to fall away. You see cost savings initiatives, which have, you know, direct impact on the revenue of the hospital, um, start to slip with some of these issues. So. Yeah, actually just the, the comments on that, Nate, uh, two, two, two things. One, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, uh, you know, any organization that handles shortages well, you inevitably shoot yourself in the foot a little bit in that um, the providers don't ever have to think about it. You, you do a good job. You're managing the shortage. But when push comes to shove and there's a serious one that comes about, all of a sudden it's a, it's a shock to people. Yeah. We yeah. certainly, yeah, we, we are going through that right now with the, um, the well, uh, well, uh, publicized shortages of tocilizumab and abraxane for, for some pre providers, there was no concept that we couldn't provide care. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, is, as you were talking about the cost savings initiatives, um, another issue that we're running into is we, we've uh, done some great cost savings initiatives and we had gotten to the point where, you know, we're about twenty, thirty thousand dollars for the fiscal year of saving some some cash, and I have literally blown that cost savings initiative uh, completely because we went out and had to purchase some additional product because of a shortage of um, the Alta Place that's currently being discussed in, in the in the media. Yeah, and that that has consequences, um, right? I mean, there's there's I've seen 
a whole number of scenarios where these cost savings initiatives have been derailed from um, from supply issues where you know you you were expecting you know the availability of a particular product in order to hit certain savings for the budget those savings are rolling up to the overall organization and the organizations depending on those cost savings to fund other aspects of the care uh, infrastructure within the health system and you know it's that's not a that's not a fun conversation to have with executives no uh that's exactly we th this particular savings initiative was specifically earmarked for some other you know as one of our report out savings and so it's it's kind of rough and uh i mean for for those that don't think about this stuff on a daily basis you think yeah you know shortages certainly probably have a cost but what is it and i think it was Vizient that reported a few years back that it was something like 14 billion dollars annually in additional drug expense so when you think about that it's it's pretty um it's pretty detrimental to what we're trying to accomplish here yeah. and we haven't even really done a good job of uh of researching you know how it impacts outcomes you know we know that that some of these shortages do change how we care for patients um you know and even for you know gi prep stuff you know and delaying procedures and diagnostic stuff you know what what are how are the how is the available or lack of availability of some of these products actually starting to influence you know uh, clinical outcomes and that, that's something that's just not really been well understood because it's such a complicated issue. Yeah, yeah. I, you know some of the uh, chemo regimens. Uh, you know you need to, some of these regimens in the specific order, but what's the cost if it's delayed by a week or what's the cost of, you know, not being able to complete the four week regimen, you, you get a three week regimen. And I wonder about that too. Um, you know, will you see a change in, you know, uh, rates of recurrence uh, with some of the oncology uh, drug shortages that have occurred uh, too. So yeah, I don't think anyone knows. I mean, we'll have to extrapolate through case reports Completely agree, and I'll just even throw in there too. We we've, we've seen in a few uh, conversations with some systems that they've started to actually keep track of um, how often that they're having to change their systems, right? Because with all of the automation technology we're now deploying through the medication use process, I mean barcoding and uh, unit dose identification, medication administration systems, EHR, all of that kind of requires you know. Uh, a product to be um, onboarded and uh, order sets require, you know, all of that information to be there and making a change for one product, you know, may require you to have to change information across a whole number of different systems. So each time they have to change that, it creates a workload, but it also creates risk. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, pharmacists are really familiar with in terms of our professional uh, responsibility to reduce risk in the medication use process. And each time we have to make a change unnecessarily, um, that, that places the opportunity for something bad to happen into play. Uh, and it's something that um, we, we know will happen. You know, it's, it's just a statistical um, certainty that, you know, you, you, Futs with that stuff enough, somebody's going to put the wrong thing in. There's going to be an error. You're not going to do the right thing. That's going to find its way to a patient at some point. Um, so they've actually started measuring, you know, 
how many times they do that as a metric of you know how impactful shortages are you know at any given point in time to their system that's interesting um you know uh what we we track what our you know our um, kind of monthly output is for the variety of things that we, my team is supposed to be working on. And I can tell you that just from tracking from a shortage perspective, and this is mostly around um, the changes we have to do or the, the meetings we have to have that about 50 to 70% of our workload uh, right now is shortages. And that's across five individuals. Um, so it doesn't surprise me um, that other people are starting to look at this and, and, and look at it for, through a safety lens. Cause I can think of a handful of situations off the top of my head where we had to do a lot of extra work because we're switching concentrations, for example, oh, and, yeah. and the likelihood that that could end up to a patient is huge. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, undo and it undoes a whole lot of work that you've done. We've, we've seen plenty of scenarios where pharmacy teams have identified, you know, if we use this this particular product and we standardize down to this specific concentration, then we're going to reduce, you know, medication-related, you know, errors with this particular high-risk uh, product or process um, and make things safer. And then suddenly you can't get that concentration, right? Uh, and now you have to undo all of that safety work. There's, It's incredibly frustrating. The number one role of our 300,000 plus active pharmacists in the United States is safety. And I can think of the drug drug interaction, which is the, 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 the front end of that safety, that that's something that our consumers may not realize They're Why is my prescription taking so long? Or why is it, you know, so uh, complicated to in the retail setting to, to get me my prescription and they have no idea that that the pharmacist is really double and triple checking that that this medication will be okay for you but now with the three of you today i'm wondering about the safety regarding shortages and i'm going to kind of throw this up in the air and and one of you can kind of answer it but how does the pharmacist account for patient safety while also trying to understand the best course of treatment when facing a shortage Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That's always in the back of, yeah. of any pharmacist's mind. And that, yeah, if it takes longer, um, if the process has to change, it's all in the name of patient safety. Um, and, you know, they, I mean, we, that's the dilemma, right? I yeah, mean, we've all seen it. Um, you just do the best you can with the resources you have and the time that you have. And unfortunately, it's not a very satisfying, you know, way to answer that. But, um, but I mean, I think, I think even at a baseline, pharmacists are doing that every day, right? Um, I don't think any pharmacist would say they have everything that they need in order to do the job that they know that they should be doing every single day. Um, that's part of, you know, the the importance of, you know, good clinical practice and, and being able to prioritize, but, but man, yeah, that, um, that balance is, is always there. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it, it gets, it gets to the point where, you know, you're, you're having to make decisions to just feel like they're impossible decisions. I mean, we had the fluid shortage, um, a couple of times, um, while I was at Wake Forest and it was, I mean, 
you're getting down to you know days on hand of fluid and who knows like what are you gonna do if you don't have any iv fluid like how are you supposed to <laughs> how are you supposed to uh, and then and then one the day yeah and one day you'd get um you you'd get a, a little release of something that worked for one drug and you would Right. Do everything you could to try to make that one drug work um, so that you wouldn't use up other fluids. And then the next day, something else would happen. And um, oh, that uh, thanks for the PTSD yeah. on that one. Oh, yeah. Totally. yeah. I mean, how many times, you know, Brian or Nate, I mean, you almost turn into this God committee where yeah. you have to really rationalize using an agent for one particular patient and not on another. Um, yeah. and those are, yeah, those are the, uh, dilemmas that, you know, we, we just anguish over, um, yeah. and those occur behind the scenes. Um, you're right. Yeah. I think on that topic, that is something that, um, I've become more and more passionate about. Um, I've been doing shortages for nearly a decade and, um, for a long time, I was fortunate that it was operational changes. It was, um, you know, some changes to say, let's just do this. And there were some really clear answers on what to do. Um, but what we have been seeing with especially the oncology uh, shortages uh, right now and what we've seen in, in the past with Ben Christine was that um, one person couldn't make these decisions. And I think to get to the safety aspect, I think um, pharmacists also often feel like they carry the burden for these decisions. And um, we've taken a step back and said, you know, we one person can't be the gatekeeper for this. Um, so we are meeting, we have, uh, we get providers involved, we have medical ethicists involved. And when push comes to shove and we have to start limiting this care, we need buy-in from everybody. Um, and so that's something that we, uh, we've been doing a lot more of. And I think has been pretty successful, um, not just in mitigating the shortage, but I think also for kind of the, the emotional health for the various individuals who are leading the, uh, the shortage. That's outstanding. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Brian, what tools though are you using in your uh, role that you've leveraged in your organization to, to really help mediate that issue? Yeah. I, well, I am very fortunate UVA that um, we got um, kind of looped in with medical ethics early on um, a couple of years ago on a shortage. And that relationship has grown um, significantly to the point where um, I often sit on the medical ethics kind of various meetings and I just keep them looped in on the side of, hey, this is coming up. I might need to pull you in and um, help us out a little bit. Uh, the, the other thing that I think that I've leveraged a lot more of recently um, is in some of these early shortages, um, rather than trying to uh, tell people what's ha uh, how to handle things, I get everybody in the same room, I give them the situation, and I guide the discussion, and I let the providers fight it out. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, everybody's passionate. They want to take care of their patients. Um but when you have especially multidisciplinary uh, group of, you know, infectious disease and oncology who both want to use tocilizumab, getting them in the same room to kind of talk it through and say, well, you know, the evidence actually isn't great in this situation. Um, so maybe I can relinquish a little bit of use there. Um, that's been very helpful for us. So I'm thinking of the technology leverage that 
pharmacists in your roles, specifically the three of you, Chris, Brian, and Nate, that you would see expanding in the future? Something that is starting now. Obviously, we know that artificial intelligence will become uh, greater tools in different um, in different settings, in the hands of pharmacists, in the hands of drug development. But I'm wondering, where do you, and I want to hear from all three of you, but where do you see drug shortages going in the future? Where do you see technology helping to mitigate the drug shortages in the future? So yeah, everybody wants to jump ahead. They want that Rosetta Stone-like, um, you know, artificial intelligence that can go out into all the systems at the single click of a button, you know, to, you know, use uh, Nate's analogy of, you know, going, changing your order set, changing your EHR, uh, going into your wholesaler. Um, so we're not there yet. Um, you know, but that's, that's the vision. That's the direction going towards. Um, so the, you know, the first thing is realizing there's a better way. Um, you, you, you know, we're just really, you know, managing this, by fire drills. And so there's a better way to do this. There's a, you know, there's no safety net um, sometimes within healthcare and, and there can be, um, you know, you only have one chance to, uh, you know, make a, you know, a decision. So, you know, we we're having that now with um, some of these interfaces that we can do um, some of the AI technology, um, you know, so, bringing that together, you know, being on this side of healthcare, you know, you realize that it doesn't happen instantly. You know, I wish you know, we could go a little bit faster. And so we're, we're certainly passionately pushing on it um, from on, on this side of the healthcare spectrum uh, to bring the technology in to show people that, you know, today we can do things better, safer, faster, um, you know, uh, back to Brian also too, again, the stress, that we put our clinicians under is incredible. And so, you know, the technology can also help with that, um, decrease your stress level uh, too, which makes you clear, you know, again, going back to your mental health is important. Um, so, you know, um, we do have tools available. Most people are heads down and they don't know about these tools. So, you know, we want to, you know, help spread the word that there's there is a better way to you know, help with drug shortages and that these homegrown systems that have been designed through you know uh, crisis are not the best way to do things one of the things that um you know kind of getting to the point about you know ai and we're being not quite there yet with you know wholesaler and all that but i think one of the things that we could uh, potentially see sooner than later is um some maybe better internal inventory management strategies where um, when you have identified a shortage, um, something that's able to assess kind of your utilization in your various areas and how you can um, quickly make a decision. Um, right now, for me, it's a very manual process of um, pulling um, uh, a variety of different data points and kind of guessing between um, the three or four data points, what is the one that makes the most sense, and then converting that into a um, into an inventory management a strategy plan. That should be, I think, one of those things that could be automated pretty quickly once you start to identify um, kind of the key points. What are, what, what are your goals? And maybe you could build various thresholds. So that would be something that's interesting. 
um, to see. And then especially as we see um, shortages for the most part are uh, just the same. I could probably count on my hand the same, you know, 10 shortages that I've dealt with in the last 10 years. Um, so being able to react as those come and go from various, you know, month to month, year to year, how to quickly react to that, uh, not even react, but uh, proactively act uh, as you start to see inventory issues. That's great. I completely agree with, with your perspectives there. I would, I would say, you know, there's really anything that's going to improve transparency um, at this point. I think uh, we we can definitely see across all of our our customers and colleagues. There's just a desperate um, need for transparency. Um, there's I think some hope that uh, blockchain may help with that, but that's still a little bit unclear exactly how that'll um, that'll manifest. But uh, I think increasingly, I think that especially with some of the projects that are underway with the FDA and industry around um, how to build better blockchain information around there, but anything that helps providers and uh, professionals that are responsible for caring for patients understand what their risks are, um, what's actually happening, what they can expect and get them out of this kind of uh, dark room that they're in where they're, they're just reacting uh, because they just don't have good information to operate on. Um, I think anything that helps with that transparency is something that um, is going to be essential for us to move forward. Uh, and and I'll just throw in too whether this is a technology piece or not. Um, I, I would say that we have a desperate need to begin thinking more collaboratively as a health system um, in how we operate as a system in the U.S. I think uh, with the CEDREP article um, here at the start of the year, um, there's some great perspective on on how that needs to come together, but um, the more we're operating in this kind of island mindset where everybody's fending for themselves, um, that extends into industry as well. Uh, we see surprisingly uh, little collaboration across uh, the other stakeholders in the drug supply chain. Um, the, the, these, All of these stakeholders are from end to end need to start coming together and collaborating and recognizing that we all exist to care for patients. Uh, and if we're not doing that, then none of us is doing our job. We have to start working together and building a better system so that patients aren't paying the price for competitiveness or cost cuts or just, you know, random error or happenstance with quality. Um, that That's just simply unacceptable in my opinion. So those are the things I think have to happen in order for us to move forward. And I concur. Thank you so much. Uh, you have been a wonderful uh, team today bringing us this information regarding uh, drug shortages and the leveraging of technology and uh, the future of artificial intelligence impact on drug shortages and mitigating the risk of not having medications that we need to care for our patients in a multitude of settings. But I want to give a shout out to IBM Watson Health. Thank you so much for dedicating the time to put outlines together and gather teams together and experts together to give our pharmacy podcast nation this information in audio form. Chris, Brian, and Nate, a heart warm uh, thank you for uh, being part of this uh, third uh, installment to the uh, series. 
We hope that you will uh, join us again at some point, and we are always ready to nerd out. So thank you so much. Each of you are going to receive a pharmacy podcast mug because I couldn't decide who I liked better. And therefore, all three of you are a bunch of nerds just like me. And I thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I, yeah, I will probably wear the, uh, you know, the label nerd. Yeah. <laughs>